Hello and welcome to the Ghosts of Lincoln podcast. I'm your host, Chris Hatch, and I'd like to tell you a scary story about where I'm from. What are you afraid of? Five small words that conjure up all manner of shadows. Oil drilled from deep within the midnight parts of the human psyche. When you say them aloud, whether it's to an actual human or because you're sitting at your kitchen table musing aloud at 1.11 a.m. during a ghost podcast, that built-in ellipses, the one that hangs at the end of the question mark, turns out it can be more than just three dots long. It's a simple enough question. I mean, what really scares you? What fear vibrates somewhere deep in the marrow of your suddenly lead-coated bones and then slap shots across your synapses so quickly that it turns the aforementioned question mark at the end of that seemingly innocuous sentence into something else entirely? What kind of silent howl terror can make that hook and dot question mark resemble the reaper's own sickle. Let me ask you another question. How do you feel about heights? In a place as prairie flat as Nebraska, you'd be shocked at how many people begin to feel that clingy, cloying grip of something across their chest when they think about getting up more than a few stories off the ground. And in a place that's as sea level as Lincoln, there's really only a few places you can go to have your metal tested out by this most basic of human fears. Fifteen stories up, 362 feet with an arcing, glittering dome, we only have one mountain. Made by the hands of our people and adorned with a statue that pays homage to the agricultural bloodlines of our home. The Nebraska State Capitol can be seen for 20 miles in nearly all directions. It's a monument, a landmark, a place of law and order and history in the future. But in spite of that lofty, heavenward architecture that seemingly reaches like Adam's very own finger towards the divine on the roof of the Sistine Chapel, there's something else here. Something that's not high, but low instead, from the depths. Something that stays in the corners of the shadows of these great halls, and that whispers to you if you only stop for a minute to calm the clattering of your heart. So why don't we do just that, you and I, right here and right now? Let's listen and see what we hear. I'll ask you again. What are you afraid of? So let's throw another log on our digital campfire, huddle closer together, and someone pass me the damn s'mores. It's midnight now, and I'm going to tell you about the ghost at the state capitol building. This is a What the Husk podcast production, and this is the Ghosts of Lincoln podcast. Episode 6 Lincoln, Nebraska does not have a particularly majestic skyline. 
there aren't a lot of big buildings, and the downtown area is appropriately Nebraskan, thriving but modest. There's the 20-story U.S. Bank building, a place where I once had a job interview go so spectacularly bad that I left, adjusted my noose-like tie, and immediately told my wife I no longer wanted to work for that company. There's a chain hotel, it's about 18 stories tall, and a few office complexes that aren't far behind. And then there is this, not the crown jewel so much as the entire crown, in a state where football is king and our stadium the castle. Our 400 foot tall capital is certainly the queen. We'll speed through the history and pretend briefly like I know anything about architecture when in reality I'm stopping just short of out-and-out out plagiarizing the Wikipedia page. The 22-story Capitol building was conceived by architect Bertram Grossvener Goodhue, a noted and respected rich white guy with a rich white guy name that you can only say if you're asking for someone to pass the Grey Poupon or discussing out loud his affinity for the Byzantine styles mixed with the Romanesque architecture of... You know what? I can't. I can't. At any rate, the capital was created in a four-part process that took ten years to complete. From 1922 to 1932, and Goodhue himself passed away a mere two years into the construction of the project. It cost a little under ten million in 1932 to construct, which Google tells me is roughly $187 million in today's money. Or, to put that in Nebraskan perspective, approximately 5.34 Scott Frosts. From there, a bunch of law stuff happened. A bunch of architecture stuff happened. And a bunch of ghost stuff happened. And you know what I'm interested in. Art Deco. Okay, uh, no, just the ghosts. Just the ghosts. The tale that we begin with here is once again from Alan Boy's Guide to the Ghosts of Lincoln, and it centers on the happiest time of year in our state, football season. But, more specifically, the latter part of football season, a time in December that many people refer to as the holiday season. It used to be during these wintry, skin-numbing times that our state officials wanted to go the extra mile and put some additional cheer out into the wind-whipped evenings of December. They would hang a wide swath of Christmas lights high on the top of the Capitol Dome. This, as I'm sure you're beginning to realize, was not an easy undertaking. Especially not back in the middle of the century. You see, you had to have someone scale the interminable spiral staircases one after another, trudging dizzyingly towards the top. Then, with legs that were suddenly hitting the high notes of acidic registry, wailing like some hair metal band frontman who's really going for it, you were supposed to toss open the roof entrance to the dome and clamber out onto the slick, golden surface. With prairie winds screaming past you like a drunken banshee, frost aching in your temples like your blood had suddenly turned to ice, and the only one there to comfort you is a 32-foot-tall giant metal farm bro 
pose like he's ready to teabag you directly off into the abyss. You can see why the capital staff might have wanted to go and outsource a job like this. And, in spite of the desire to bring holiday good tidings to the eggnog-chugging masses, you can see why the director of maintenance at the building would ask for volunteers, and why when he would ask, those being asked would pull what has since become termed as a reverse DJ Khaled, instead of hands going up and staying there, like perhaps all they were doing was winning. The staff on this particularly miserable, cold, and dark day that we're about to discuss, they all kept their hands down. You see, the Grinch's heart may have been growing two sizes that day, but these government employees weren't seeing similar growth in their paychecks, and as such, the Capitol building had to turn to other means of accomplishing the dissemination of Yuletide cheer from on high. So. Who do you turn to for a dangerous, low-paying job that could certainly spell death? In a plot directly out of a Vin Diesel action movie from 2003, the people in charge of Christmas lights at the Capitol allegedly began using state penitentiary inmates as their Christmas lighting specialists. Yes, that's right. They had Scarface up there pretending to be Clark Griswold, an HBO anti-hero climbing around hundreds of feet above the earth like he was some kind of stuntman from a Hallmark movie. The story unfolds with all the creeping, cyclical dread that can grip even the sturdiest of hearts when you find yourself higher than your body wants to be. Supposedly, on this wintry, north wind night, this particular convict who had volunteered slid himself out onto the roof of the Capitol. He affixed his rope harness, more tug-of-war than circus grade even, and slid out onto the roof. With the wind whistling in his ears, a shrill reminder that perhaps he would rather be back in the confines of his cell, he nervously inched his way out onto the roof. As he began unstringing the lights, Bulb by bulb, the man did his best not to think. His stomach pressed coldly against the frozen dome of the Capitol. He inched his way across the rim, body sweating in spite of the temperature, his mind desperately trying to pull the ripcord and lurch outside of his skull with panic. There, his body illuminated in the twinkling, joyous lights of festival and holiday, wind chapping his lips and cheeks, this man, this volunteer who had so few choices of his own to make, let his eyes drift for just one moment. They drifted down. There's an incredible cinematic effect that you occasionally see in movies. I first saw it in Jaws when Chief Brody is sitting in his beach chair and realizing in real time that he's inadvertently opened a rich, honky buffet for a 25-foot great white shark. The camera moves closer to his shocked, slack-jawed face, terror cracking his machismo facade while adjusting the frame so that he remains the same size. It's nearly impossible to describe the effect, and it's certainly a terrible bit of podcasting, but if you've seen the movie, then you no doubt know precisely what I'm referring to. 
It's pure spatial dissonance, like static electricity running through your equilibrium. It's falling with both feet on the ground. It's a somersault that doesn't stop when your body does and just keeps on barrel rolling. That's what happened to our convict. That's the sensation that suddenly went off like a gong was just struck in the amygdala of this unnamed poor felonious sap who was just trying to get some fresh air in between playing cards for cigarettes in the cafeteria. He let out a scream then. A howl, really. A piercing, diamond-tipped wail as his fingers seized up into claw-like scrabbling talons. He was falling before he fell. His mind had already slipped off the smooth dome and careened over the edge even before his fingers lost their grip. The living rigor mortis of pure terror tensed and released, and he slipped from atop the dome. Thin, inconsequential ropes snapping under his weight as he free fell down, away from the light, into the dark and the cold below. Here's what we know about this story. This tall tale about being up high. It never happened. Not that we can prove. Now, while it certainly makes for a good ghostly tale, a convict, a man of ill repute trying to redeem himself high above the city lights, who instead meets the ultimate retribution for his acts and receives the cruel and unusual punishment of his own mind failing him, there's simply no record of it. Nor is there record of Alan Boy's other mentioned death in this chapter of Guide to the Ghosts of Lincoln, in which he details a distraught bachelor who either lost his balance or his mind and leapt to his doom down the gap between stairs and empty air somewhere high above in the spider web of spiral staircases. Here is what I do know to be true, as verified in the pages of the Lincoln Star from November 14th of 1945. There was a man, and he did fall to his doom, from high atop the great state capital of Lincoln, Nebraska. He was not a convict, nor was he reputedly struggling with the recent breakup of a fiancé or the financial woes that have led many desperate people to make many desperate decisions. The strange thing about Roy W. Kohler's 250-foot leap to his doom, the one that ended with him crash-landing onto the desk of a woman in the statistical division of the state capitol, it's that no one really knows why he leapt, or if he fell. No one knows what was slithering around in his head that urged him to toss both of his dress shoes over the edge of that ledge at age 58 and hurtle downwards for the nearly eight seconds that it takes to fall that distance. Did he jump? Did he slip? What unseen, unknown forces prompted this mild-mannered dairy and milk inspector to plunge over the edge at 2.30 in the afternoon? Who or what gave him that final push? We may never know. But maybe his voice is what people hear when they find themselves suddenly silent in the cavernous halls of this hallowed ground. The whispers that make the gums in our mouths tingle and the skin of our scalp tighten 
like someone's cinching up our own hair. Perhaps that's Roy giving you a hint about what happened. Or perhaps when people have reported the myriad strange sounds and shapes shifting in the subterranean basement levels of the capital. That's Roy reminding us that this is not some convict hanging lights, not some spook story or made-up tragedy, but a very real, still-falling man who's just trying to find out where the bottom is. Have you ever found yourself alone and in silence in these echoing, massive halls? What did you hear? What did you see? Let us know and be sure to share your experiences as usual, either online in an email or on the Facebook page. When your feet are on the ground, your eyes are pointed up, and your neck is craning to see the tops of this great building, make sure that you don't forget to listen to what may be coming from below. I'll ask you one final time. What are you afraid of? Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of the Ghosts of Lincoln podcast. <laughs>